International Everybody, uh, today on the podcast we have got a friend of mine. His name is Skylar Morgan. Uh, he had a pretty interesting life and work situation. He went from uh, being a bodybuilder EMT to an artist, part-time yogi, and audiobook narrator. Uh, so we got him on the podcast to kind of explore some of the resentment that made him take such a big life shift. And we had a great time finding out more about what makes someone just kind of redirect their whole life and especially their career. So it was an interesting conversation. I'm really excited for you to hear it. Absolutely. And uh, we do just want to go ahead and give the listeners a tiny warning. Uh, He does tell us one story uh, about his time as an EMT that does get a little bit graphic. Oh, yeah, that was gross. Uh, It starts with him going into somebody's house. So if you have a squeamish stomach, we would recommend potentially skipping past that part. You will be able to tell when it is. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, uh, today's guest uh, we've got on uh, Skylar Morgan, uh, better known as the voice of Skylar Morgan on all of his social media. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. Of course. Uh, we, we've got Skylar on today because uh, he had a large life shift whenever it comes to careers. Uh, he used to be an EMT, but then uh, transitioned into audiobook narration. Not the typical change from the paramedic EMT firefighter type genre. You know, usually those are pretty career built, but there was a big break check. And then now I'm just really loving the audiobook world. It's just. So back up for me. What made you become an EMT? What made you want to do the medical field? Well, (laughs) believe it or not, my thrust into the medical field came from a winter spent with a girl back home over Christmas break, Uh where we watched a ton of Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) a ridiculous amount of Grey's. And I didn't really want to watch it at first, but I started watching and I got into it. And finally, I was like, it was a freshman at college. I was majoring in accounting. I just I wanted to play football. Okay, so, oh. so you're okay. So you're an interesting person. Sounds like to me, you've you've had a lot of career paths and things like that. So like you went to college uh, to play football. What college did you go to? University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. Bismarck, North Dakota. Very cold. Very cold. D two college, not that big. Private Catholic university, uh-huh. but they gave me some scholarship money. So I was like, yeah, I'll try it out. <laughs> it was freezing cold, they, like to the point where you have to put metal stakes in the ground in the wintertime so you know which path to walk between building to building because the snow gets so snowed out between classes they just can't keep up like shoveling the walks that sounds exhausting my dad was stationed in greenland when he was in the military way back in the day Mm -hmm. and over christmas break my first time i came back and i got his winter issued parka and brought it back just so i'd be warm because it was so cold up there but that's out of control so did you have like ambitions of doing football professionally You know, I didn't know at the time. I came out of high school and thinking that, you know, I was the shit, basically. (laughs) Playing football, I'm going to college. Don't we all? (laughs) And, and, you know, I started, I I took an accounting class my senior year, and I really liked Miss Hanson, my uh, accounting teacher. She made something I wouldn't have thought to be interesting, extremely interesting. And so I was like, okay, I'll major in this, and I'll be a CPA, and I'll live for the weekends. Like, this was my whole plan. 
And shortly after my first accounting class, I was like, I have to do something else. But I wanted <laughs> to play football. So I just, I picked one. And I, after that, I just went into business management. I'm like, you got to switch me out of something. Can't do accounting. And they're like, well, what about business? I'm like, can I still play football? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then uh, I decided that I like I mildly hurt my back uh, and I kept re-injuring it and it got to the point where I couldn't bend over without uh, like tie my shoes without a lot of pain Jeez. and I was like when I'm done I had to ask myself that question like what am I going to do when I'm done playing football am I going to go to the pros obviously not now especially with my back being mildly messed up and my idea was maybe I was going to be a firefighter when I was done uh, but if you don't have a back, you're not going to be a very good firefighter. So, Do you ever have any resentment or sadness about the injury? I do because it was from improperly performed exercises, just repetitive what? exercises. You know, you know, everybody lines up on the ground and the coaches, you know, we're doing abs. I remember specifically when it happened and I was just like extremely exhausted. I knew I couldn't do anything, but they're barking at you to do more. And, you know, you got to be tough, but... And like, if I was working out now, I'd be like, oh, there's no point in going further. I have exhausted my body. I just remember I twitched weird and I felt something like, oh, that didn't feel right. And then I can feel it to this day. Like it's that, it, it, it cared for him. So it's hard not to have resentment about that. You know, I even held resentment towards the coach that was barking out the orders for a while. Yeah. Was it, was it like one of those situations where it was like, he was a promising football star until one day. I wouldn't go as far to say I was promising <laughs> as much. I was on the team and I was, you know, I was, I was a freshman, red shirt freshman at the time too. So I thought that I was a big fish in the, in the pond itself, but really I probably wasn't anything special. And you know, it definitely, it didn't, continue that way and i in hindsight i'm happy about it because these studies keep coming out talking about cte oh yeah all these i mean i we used to have uh linebacker drills and running back drills where we got five yards apart five yards apart and just helmet to helmet helmet uh. to helmet just knocking the crap out of yourself for for what for practice and they've done studies about how like there's a link between getting concussions and then having like angry behaviors later like there's like a direct link between like football players getting hit in the head and then beating their wives mm -hmm. like they like they lose their like cognitive resources to like process a situation and so like their adrenaline rush is too high in their brain so any confrontation feels like it's a fight or flight situation when it's not that's terrifying they lose their ability to like exercise empathy because of those concussions i was yeah i mean that's the i mean a concussion is literally like brain damage like it's from your brain rattling around inside of your skull it's like there's like that that seems logical that like your brain rattling around like a bouncy ball that somebody threw too hard might have some <laughs> negative repercussion but it's our In favorite game yeah. <laughs> like it's we we i mean we've invented foods to enjoy watching this horrible thing happen to people like it's like i know they make a lot of money but it's super dangerous it's, yeah it's the backbone i mean if you're a sports fan and you don't watch the super bowl and all that people kind of look at you funny and yeah. I, I actually fell so far out of sports that i don't watch the super bowl anymore i don't what? have a favorite football player not even for the commercials no you know i do enjoy the commercials but once they got rid of the budweiser frogs i mean what are you what, what are you really trying to i feel like you're just trying to get back to the budweiser frog commercial <laughs> levels i dug those back in the day it was my thing i really got excited that about that a throwback commercial so, so like what what made you like think uh being like oh i'm gonna major in uh business but i i think i see myself being a firefighter like you mentioned like where where, where was the thought behind that well i i didn't know what i was gonna do when I graduated and after I figured out I wasn't going to be an accountant or a CPA <laughs> or really didn't have anything in business I was just like uh, I'll go be a firefighter you know I was, 
maybe it's a meathead expectation or something that I had or thought process that I had back in the day for some reason, but I didn't know even what I was getting into. I just, I had this idea of what a firefighter was. I'm like, oh, I can do that afterwards. And then when the time came, they're like, I was like, okay, do I just go to the fire department and hand in a resume? Like, how do I become a firefighter? (laughs) Yeah, it starts, you have to be registered EMT basic. So Uh I was like, okay, I'll transfer back home from North Dakota to Montana and take an EMT class. Easy enough. Uh, I'll try that out. And I did, and I really liked it, and I excelled at it. And it has a uh, in like an internship ride along at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, like we were speaking before the podcast, happened to ride with one of the right paramedics who had a little bit of pull mm-hmm. and who liked me. They just, you know, they yeah. thought I was fine around. Uh, they liked my, like our chemistry, the way we worked on calls. And they're like, you should apply here. And a lot of people, the EMT classes churn out a whole 12 EMTs every semester. Mm-hmm. And we had one ambulance service in our area. And so you don't, Jeez. it's, you get, there's a chopping block. And if you have any kind of issues, usually they, you know, somebody whispers, Hey, I don't know about so-and-so. And I hate that it's like that, but that's kind of how it is. It's a little how bit of the good old boy system. How town that one ambulance is enough? It's, well, it's one ambulance company. Oh, okay. So it's, um, we have about 60,000 people if you include the military base that it's associated with. And we, enti- uh, we cover the entire county, uh, which has roughly about 100,000 people or uh-huh. so. Okay. In, or in the whole area, I believe. And uh, there's three ambulances and two uh, personnel per ambulance. And we just rotate. And if all three get called out, there's a call system to bring extra people in. Okay. But, it works, but you know it's still a relatively small town. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, but believe it or not, sorry to stop you, but uh, um, the call volume was similar to medics down here in big cities because you can only run so many calls per shift, no matter if you have a million people in a town or you know a hundred thousand people in mm-hmm. a town. And so we were a pretty busy truck, so I got exposed to a slew of injuries from ATV accidents to car accidents to heart attacks to falling off cliffs to I'm gonna ask what's the weirdest thing you saw mm, the gnarly you ready stuff you in ready the for, butt it's oh. probably stuff in oh, the butt when is it not <laughs> stuff in the butt there's there's a subculture of people out there who love to uh experiment i guess you can say and they go awry sometimes but um we did have an interesting call with golf balls but i've got one that'll beat that in kind of like shocked grossness share and it was one of my first calls we got (laughs) dispatched to a um uh just kind of like a where welfare check every once in a while the cops will be like hey we're gonna go check out this residence uh can you guys have the ambulance standby just in case something's going on so we're like sure cops get on scene and instantly go like okay we've got a dead body here we're gonna need some transport this is a weird setup and so basically what happened is we showed up on scene and opened the door and you're like that's foul like something smelled off and and you're on the street still how long were they dead okay so they were dead he was guessing for about three weeks. Oh, Lord. This guy was, he had some chemical imbalances, didn't have a lot of friends from what we gathered. Um, his dad tried to call him a bunch of times, but um, did not, couldn't get through, but didn't really think too much of it because every once in a while, I guess this guy would just go off the rails mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, just not talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. But what made the, uh, the community call the police is they were side-by-side apartments, one-story apartments that were all touching. Oh, and no. oh no! The lady on the right side was getting flies on one wall of her house. Like there was just like she couldn't get the flies out of her house and was complaining of an eerie smell. And it wasn't like the best neighborhood, so you probably are going to get some funky smells anyway. But there were like flies coming through the vent type stuff. 
and we get on scene and I'm with a really uh, seasoned paramedic by the name of Garrett and he goes he just smiles and he goes okay here we go we're gonna see what you're made out of we go in and there's a guy laying on a futon directly to the right directly to the right wearing a green shirt no pants (laughs) hand on his junk balls the size of like a balloon about (gasps) to pop because he's been gone for like three weeks so his gases are escaping but haven't exploded so instantly and i don't have a ton of experience around this but it doesn't take a lot of experience to go i don't know about this (laughs) and the smell is just gagging it's just you walk in and it's just you're supposed to grab like vicks vapor rub and rub it on the top of your lips so you smell the vicks and it's just nothing nothing is helping we don't have any apparatuses because we're not a huge huge ambulance company like we talked about like we had enough to just handle the regular stuff so he's like Winnie the Pooh, right? Like just just shirt, no bottom. <laughs> shirt, no bottom. Winnie the Pooh style. Hand okay. on his junk. Oh lord! And oh. his he's he'd been so dead dead so long that his eyes had molded out and everything. And ah! Horrible, <laughs> horrible. And there's piles of puke all over the place with blood in it and every cat hair stuck to everything type stuff. This it, was like one of your first calls. Yeah, right out the gate. Right out <laughs> the gate. Like, and you you never know what you're gonna get because there's. I, I probably had a thousand calls that I forgot of almost that caliber where you're just like, what are we watching here? Like <laughs> th- a second ago I was eating Burger King sitting in a recliner. Now I'm in some kind of weird cat domain with some problems that were all most of the time caused by themselves or the situation they put themselves in. And a lot of times you're playing like the adult, the situation mm-hmm. I found, which is weird. Mm. So it was only like 21, 22 at the time. Like, why am I the adult here? You guys are grown people in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 90s. Adults like dealing with drugs and things like that? Drugs, you know, it is it is Montana, so drugs are a big part. Meth is a huge problem in Montana. Mm. Um, heroin overdoses, typical stuff. You know, when you get a... I The area, uh, northern area, colder areas, I feel like the depression, winter depression really kicks in. And I notice that there's a lot more like alcoholism and there's a lot more just people trying to escape from lives i guess and just by nature you're gonna get more ambulance business if more people in the area are doing that kind of stuff so how long were you doing uh having to respond to calls like that before you said fuck this i did that for five years uh and it was a blast i went all the way up and i even got my critical care certifications through the maryland baltimore critical care program to where we're doing all kind of crazy stuff flight certified i mean it's if you like gore and excitement it's a really really cool job to have but i did find that it was wearing on me and i'd become really jaded and i had a really negative outlook on a lot of people and a lot of things just based off like every day I get like not every day is the worst day on the planet like some calls and some days you know just it's just another day of trouble. but some days you are dealing with everybody's worst day of their life and whether yeah. you're superman or not that's got to wear a little bit subconsciously empathy fatigue mm-hmm. I, yeah i don't know that first story has already worn me down <laughs> yeah I, I don't know how you didn't quit like what i did dry heave over the side a few times though. all we had to do was get him in a body bag and put him in the back of the ambulance and put him to the morgue but that was a feat <laughs> i'm just like sitting here with my hand on my head it's like i gotta call my mom that's a lot yeah never don't answer the phone for a couple of weeks because that like if my mom listens to this she's gonna be like you're just gonna be like what do you mean you didn't answer the phone you could be naked in your house why aren't you answering the phone <laughs> you gotta answer uh side note my mom called me this morning woke me up early in the day just crack a dawn saying are are you you're okay right and i'm like yeah she goes 
I had a dream. Oh, Lord. Like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and she had a dream that I crashed my car over a bridge and drowned. So she was calling me at like 6 37 o'clock in the morning just to make sure everything was okay. And like, I was, I, was, I don't have a car, I drive a motorcycle. So, off, like, just right off the bat, that's kind of funny. <laughs> and she knows that, but uh, mom's worry. Oh, mom's, mom's, about mom's worry a lot. That's, that's like role number two of the job, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, just oh, so there was a big shift in my paramedicness yeah. because I wanted to walk away from the street stuff. I didn't want to be doing nine one one stuff all the time. You're, mm-hmm. you're going up store, you know, carrying people out of houses. You never know what you're gonna do, but it's it's taking a toll on your body. My back was kind of messed up at that point in time. I was a competitive bodybuilder too, and so I got up to two hundred sixty two pounds, just trying to crack the ground when I walked on it and all this. <laughs> and I was doing bodybuilding competitions where I was cutting down sixty pounds in three months, trying to get as shredded as I can and working full time and all the stuff that I don't do now. And I needed a big change from it, so. Yeah, I just what, what do you th- what do you think kind of inspired that big change was it just like a gradual tiredness and then like you're, you're you're mentioning that it's like kind of wearing you down can you give us a little bit of like insight into like what the what like your mental process was during that time like how specifically it was wearing on you like sure uh when i was still working on the truck i would like to say i was still tough as nails like mm. it was I I wasn't really getting burnt out then, but I wanted a change. And so I came down to the Austin area to get a bigger change. And I ended up working for um, a interventional radiology association, working for two neurosurgeons, doing their coordinations. Okay. Coordinating coordinating their schedule, taking their on-call of somebody. We were dealing with primarily people who had aneurysms or any kind of issues with your veins in your heads. Like, Mm -hmm. you'd come to us me and my partner would sit down we'd interview you ask histories try to find out what meds you're taking doing a bunch of stuff and then the doctor will come in and talk to you and then he'll come do the surgery we'll schedule the surgeries and all that stuff and that's where it started wearing on me when i started dealing with the day-to-day clinic life of an actual i guess it's kind of a weird 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 way to say it but it was the first time i was working an actual day-to-day healthcare job Mm -hmm. where it was five days a week 10 to 12 hours a day type stuff. Whereas before I was working like two 24 hour shifts a week. So you could get a pretty decent chunk of time off to kind of reboot. Right. And if you wanted to go like do the bodybuilding thing, like I could do it. I, you could have another hobby and you weren't be, you wouldn't be too pressed for time. But this kind of just took over my every day. Do you feel like you were missing a little bit of that Grey's Anatomy excitement too when you went to like the, oh, yeah. the schedule? Oh, I found out a long time ago that Grey's Anatomy thing is not <laughs> not even a hint of what real healthcare is. But you know, I thought it was funny that that's how like that's what I thought it was when I was getting into it. Or in a sense, I knew it wasn't exactly like that. But you know, it, that's that was what Hollywood had painted the picture of healthcare for in my mind. And then when you really get and you start working it, you're like. Some of this is bullshit. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it's not 25% work, 75% dramatic romance. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of drama for sure. Cause it still seems to be, I like, I don't know, a lot of other places when you hang out with a certain group of people and it's like, you know, eventually people start hooking up. Okay. And do you tell <laughs> I, I had a strict policy of no, uh, my, my, the fire medic that, uh, uh, precepted me, he said, don't shit where you eat right off the bat. Cause we used to walk up to, uh, pass our patients off to the emergency rooms and you see these cute little front desk people like, hi, and they take the paperwork and you'd he, see me looking at him. He's like, do not shit where you eat. So I kind of took that to heart and I said, never do it. But you know, you'll have a regular job and then two people that are just quarreling and you have somebody who needs actual help and they, 
have their own beefs with each other on scene mm. type stuff and it's that's mm. the kind of stuff that you don't i mean that's the little bit of the hollywood stuff that kind of makes it in there i guess it makes it entertaining but is more irritating than that anything would, like, else to yeah. bleed out on a table because two people are arguing about why they didn't text each other back like that would be <laughs> where were you last night <laughs> that would just be so poetic if we're just like ma'am ma'am <laughs> trying to interrupt their conversation excuse, excuse me excuse me down here the red the red stuff ever it was uh, like yeah i get that he's a cheating bastard but can you please stitch up my knife wound <laughs> uh, and, and the issue that really turned me away from healthcare was, and I don't know if this is selfish, but even if it is, I'm still standing by it because it's the decision mm-hmm. I made. But I start dealing with the type of person that thinks everybody thinks they're their own world, and you know, and that's my experience. That's your experience, as far as I know. It's your experience, mm-hmm. as far as I know. And if something's wrong with you, you're like, hey, I gotta fix something. And if it's something in your head that you can't feel that maybe it's not a big deal, but you don't really know too much about it, you'll start freaking out. You might call, you know, we don't have everything in line to go like right now to get it fixed. It might be a couple of weeks and it's fine that your surgery is mm-hmm. a couple of weeks out, but you are just going to give the office hell for those three weeks because you're worried and then your family's going to call because they're worried. And it's just all this extra stress on top of it, plus insurance companies i didn't deal with insurance companies on the ambulance because you show up and you're like yeah your arm's all lopped off or yeah you're having a heart attack we don't ask for insurance there we're like you'll figure it out later and if not you know the company eats the cost it doesn't really matter here we were getting authorizations for surgeries and it's you have to click the right boxes and the insurance companies don't want to pay yeah because that's the bottom line it's us versus them do they they have the money the insurance companies have the money we have the patients and they want to make as much money as they can while still providing the services they're supposed to and it's just weird web of really sad events where you see people that should be getting treatments or should be getting these treatments would definitely be more beneficial but mm-hmm. they have to fail an opiate therapy regimen before they can have the surgery to remove whatever tumor that we were looking at just because that's the way the insurance says. Mm. So now you got like, for instance, like a, a regular kid getting hooked on opiates, trying to deal with the pain. And when that fails, then we have to deal with him taking opiates for so many amount of times and then potentially having the surgery and dealing with ever repercussions after that. It's Jesus. It was frustrating. And I didn't have any other skills. So I was like, kind of panicking like i couldn't go be a bodybuilder because i stopped that off and there's no money in that there's no money in bodybuilding i mean it's if you're good yeah if you want to trash your body a lot yeah like it was not going to be sustainable at all like i would i was i just i knew it was something that if i pursued it as hard as i wanted to pursue it it was gonna probably lead down a bad road for my my health in the end yeah and I just where I ended up meeting an audiobook narrator. I met his mom and he got me in contact. Uh, So my dad and my mom and dad were visiting from Montana a couple years ago and his best man and his wedding lived in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. So they're like, hey, we're going to go and meet him. We haven't seen these guys in like 15 years. I want you to meet him. It's going to be fun. We go down there. It turns out their son was a romance audiobook narrator who has already been doing this for a while full time. And I was like, that's interesting. I'm so, just going to give him a call. So like very like chance encounter just like through like so random friend of a family of a friend kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. That, that exact thing. And he was super nice. And he, he in hindsight, he didn't give me in hindsight. I didn't ask the right questions, but I didn't know what questions to ask. Right. Uh-huh. I was like, how, how long a week do you work and type stuff? Like 
you work as much as you want to work. You're, you're, you're in the creative process now. So it's a big shift from showing up to your shift and getting paid by the hour to getting paid for what your work is really worth. <laughs> and that lit a huge fire in me. I was like, oh, there's a different ball game here. So the audio industry, I have a couple questions about that mm -hmm. because I've worked in radio before and been interested in it. And anytime I've approached it, I'll get like someone who's like, yeah, yeah, you'd be great. All you got to do is take this class. It's $300. <laughs> but then it's going to teach you everything you need to know about voiceover. I'm like, I know how to read. I know how to talk. I think I got this. Like what? Have you ever had someone approach you about something like that with yeah. the classes thing? Um, that the, sounds very cult mind. Oh, it is. How can we get $400 tonight? Come, come to us. Come, come to us. Drink the Tony Robbins type stuff. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I was advised to get, uh, to take an acting class, mm -hmm. but, and I'd taken drama in high school and I had a vague idea. And if you listen to the beginning audiobooks garbage and he told me that too he's like the guy's like i sold i made like 20 bucks to this day off my first audiobook just accept that the first ones are going to be dog shit and then you'll you'll build your way up from there you'll learn how to do it as you go and it was a lot of stumbling before running if i'm even running maybe i'm jogging right now hopefully running soon but uh i did take a lot of online classes so I spent the last two years uh, taking vocal mm -hmm. training from uh, Jeff Rolka, who's uh, a, a vocalist in England. He puts up all the information that you would ever want to learn how to sing in each range, baritone, soprano, whatever your voice. He, he's got this video series for you and it's all free. So I just started doing that on my commute to and from work. Because once again, now that I'm in the big city, I didn't know that it was going to be two hours of my life every day in a car going to the job which was mildly fulfilling in itself mm -hmm. and then just getting home and all you wanted to do was go, go to sleep and do it again mm -hmm. so during that time i was singing to myself like a crazy person in the car <laughs> uh working on my vocal ranges uh it's just the internet if you want to learn how to do a british accent you can go and somebody has put out a detailed one to ten process on how to properly have your accent oh yeah yeah like it, 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 th there's a lot of things that they say like if you want to really do something like figure out how to do it for free and the internet has like really revolutionized your ability to like do that with a lot of different skills that's interesting that's really interesting so tell me about um you said your first one was kind of awkward I, like i think before we started you were going to touch on like some like some odd experiences you've had working in the romance novel genre yeah sure um <laughs> yeah you, you said you're not going to believe believe what my first one was if i remember correctly yes uh the first one wasn't romance believe it or not okay but it ended up it wasn't popular at the time but it had come to surface in social media since then but it was about flat earth oh no what <laughs> what yeah it hurts to say you it hurts you to say. narrated flat earth propaganda it was no, don't call it propaganda it's oh, alternative theory I'm, oh excuse me do you have proof the earth is round what if I told you I was a flat earther? He would end this podcast. I, I'd be like, like I'd be like, guys, <laughs> it's been it's been a great run here at the Extra Salty Podcast, but I'm gonna have to call it quits. Jasmine's a flat maybe, earther. Maybe you could reference this book because this book won't recruit you to flat Earth, but it's how to come out to your family, family <laughs> and friends that you believe in this flat Earth theory. Wait. So there's no flat Earth theory in the book. It's, it's just, just to how to talk to people because it's probably going to be a bit of a shock to them when you say that you believe that we're flat as can be. <laughs> so wait, flat earthers feel so persecuted that they have like material to help them get through the coming out process. That honestly yes. makes me feel a little uh, personally attacked. I, I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm, wow. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Wow. And here's the kicker. 
the quality is dog shit. I didn't have any soundproofing <laughs> at the time. I had I had a condenser mic in an open room next to a window and some I had my MacBook and I live kind of oh, next God. to a dirt bike track. So if you listen really closely, <laughs> you can hear in the background and all this is really really bad. I still sell a copy, at least one copy every week. <laughs> every week, I'm like, will this please stop selling? I can't wait till I don't see this anymore. Oh. But for seven years, my name's going to be attached to Flat Earth in Three Minutes by Doug Mesner. Oh, my stop God. It. The best part is every couple of months, it seems like some celebrity comes out as a flat earther. They're like, you're never going to make the end in Trump's America. Oh, God. I'm sorry to inform you. This might be your most popular uh, work. You oh, just never know. Boy. Speaking of things in the background, sorry about all the coughing. I am a little under the weather right now. So people are probably going to hear me hacking shit up in the Aww. background. Uh, speaking of weird background noises, I've been trying to find in the audiobook industry how to get less mouth sounds. Because if you narrate for a while, you get like dry mouth or anything, and then you hit this in the and like people yeah. cringe. Oh. That's not what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes it just happens during your your regular narration. So I've been trying out different things, like eating apples is one of the things that are supposed to help your narration. Drinking lemon water, and then by the end of the day, I find out I'm just filled with apples and lemon water. <laughs> I kind of feel okay, but weird. But there's a lot to learn, I guess. It was. That Much does make me yeah. cringe. Like, there was some commercial about, like, people eating, and the sound of people eating makes me just want to vomit. Like, I Horrible. never, <laughs> I don't notice it when I'm eating, because I hear only myself eating. But, like, if I'm just listening to someone eat when I'm not, I'm just, I want to throw that person out of the room. Or, like, when you're stirring a big pot of macaroni and cheese. <gasps> oh, that, like, slushy sound. <laughs> I never Those re- people get goosebumps when you hear it. It's like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> it's like when you get water in your shoes. Just like that... Gross. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> I know what you're doing here, Kai. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. So you've narrated all different types of books. Um, any ones that we might have heard of or anything? Uh, nothing that you probably would have heard of. That's my biggest goal is to finally get with an author that's actually putting out a some well-known, well, well-known stuff. A lot of it's independent publishing because mm-hmm. we do live in this really cool time to be alive with the internet where you don't have to have the backing of a big publishing company oh, yeah. to get an amazing novel out. But if you don't put out an amazing novel, it's easy to put a bunch of crap out. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. You can get a lot more quantity than quality, which I learned how to pick through because you can audition for a book and get it like that. And then you're like, wait a second. Why did I get this audition so quick? And then you start reading the book and through the script and you're like, oh, the other people like sniffed this out that it was going to be a horrible script or the writing wasn't put together well or the distribution wasn't going to be very well so you won't make any money off of it (laughs) and you have to sail a bunch of those ships before you know you decide like hey i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go down that road again so how does it work when you're like if it's a storyline with more than one person do you guys record together or separately or i haven't done a uh co-narrated book i put out about 50 now and Mm -hmm. all of them have just been me talking to myself in the room but depending on the uh, author's wishes, mm-hmm. I might do more of like a storytelling, theatrical type narration, or if they want more of a mm. brooding, board type, you know, accent, I could do that. Or between male and female, some authors really want a big change. They want the female to sound like a female with a higher voice, which I think sounds wonky, mm. especially with a, somebody with a low voice like <laughs> myself. Or other ones where, you know, if you just change the inflections on the way you say your words, mm-hmm. then you can tell the difference in a dialogue. And that was a the hardest lesson probably to learn is how to have a conversation with yourself 
and not sound like you're a crazy person having a conversation with yourself. Actually make it sound like two different people are telling a story. In my recent narration of Fairy Tale Apocalypse by Jacqueline Patricks, mm-hmm. uh, she's in the Austin area as well, which I okay. thought was pretty crazy. Small world coming into uh, the Austin area again. But uh, there was... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say about that. It was some, what were we just talking we're about? We're talking about uh, narrating with more than one voice yeah. or oh. co-narrating. Yeah. Um, so she has two really strong characters that are 15-year-old sisters. You do and, two women voices? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, if you, you know, you're just reading the book, eventually you just, you're listening to the person tell the story. And one of the sisters was really overprotective and the other one was super snobby. Mm-hmm. So it would like this one scene I'm thinking about in particular is she wasn't supposed to go out into the field because mom said you can't go out into the field because it's dangerous. And one sister Tessa's like, you can't do this. And the other sister Lauren's like, I'm going the whole time. And you know, if, I really tried to make one sound like they didn't, you know, they were concerned, really concerned about the well-being. And the other one's like, I'm not concerned about the well-being. I'm going, I'm going to be fine type stuff. So I I have to, like, I have to hear this. That's what I was going to say. You're talking about doing all these different voices. I'm hearing your voice the way you sound now. And you have a wonderful speaking voice. Uh, But I'm a mad, like, sound like two teenage girls. Do it. See that now? That's that's (laughs) difficult. That's right on the spot. But um, I don't know. Like, I honestly would have to have some dialogue and some look behind it because those, those, scenes do take a second to get right the majority of my narration i do like to do is free reading Mm -hmm. where you're kind of reading as you go and you you kind of pick up how the writer's writing style is so you can just read the book and narrate it instead of having to read page by page and study and be like okay i've got this scene today and i've got that Mm -hmm. scene today but that was one of this type of scenes where you definitely have to read ahead a little bit see who's getting mad where see who's yelling to who and then just try to sit down and make it happen. So you seem really passionate about this. Like you've learned so, like you've taken the time to learn so much about it and mm-hmm. really grow with it. Do you, would you say this is your thing? Like it's your calling? But, I hope it's but, my calling. But give your answer in the theatrical narrator voice. <laughs> well, <clears throat> gotta have the brief silence for a second. I really do hope that it's my calling, but you know, life throws you curveballs. <laughs> it throws you curveballs at any point in time. Like, so one of the big curveballs is going from a paramedic, especially neurointerventional surgery type stuff, to freelancing reading books for a living, big change in the income. You got to deal with that for a while. Um, I don't think any audiobook narrator other than, you know, the big ones, Will Wheaton and all these people are ever going to be super loaded. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely a dream of mine. And the storytelling process is one of the oldest traditions that people have ever had. I mean, that's how we got that's true. I mean, the, before the Bible was written down, people were telling stories about the Bible and someone decided to jot it down, blah, blah, blah. Like it's just been going around for a while. And, uh, would you, I'd like to get good at it. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry, Sorry. but I just had a question. Would you ever refuse a script if it went against, I mean, clearly you don't have a moral, like, uh, problem with flat earthers but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, you're not necessarily, you're not pro flat earth. Are you? No, okay. no, no. <laughs> That was one of those situations where I couldn't get a job without a resume. Yeah. And so yeah. I, the first book that accepted me, I was like, I'll do it. And now that first book's still just like, hey, you did this. It's like a bad book. <laughs> Would you ever say no to something if it was like against something you felt uncomfortable talking about? I've said no a few times. Um, A lot of it is you get into like, okay, so when I did the go down this romance series, I ran into a book where it's 
borderline and not borderline actual rape scenes and getting really graphic with the way men are talking down to women and And it's just you know there's those categories out there people like them but i i don't want to narrate a lot of them like i'm not afraid to get graphic but if you're tasteful if you are tasteful the way you are describing your young adult scene or whatever your romance scene it's fine but you can get some just monsters with a pen and paper out there that are putting out books that probably not too many people are reading and if they do they are traumatized the deep discomfort of the arts oh yeah yeah, absolutely that (laughs) is some demons coming out yucky so um that's thank you so much for talking with us so much to learn about your backstory and just kind of like how life throws you different curveballs and you can turn those transitions into whole different experiences sure sure yeah no i mean it really seems like you've had like a lot of positive outlook despite like some of the crazy shit that life has thrown your way and that's really cool like because a lot of the times like people can really get hung up on resentment and it can be something that like really bogs you down and keeps you from doing something productive but i feel like overall my everyday I'm a happier person. Like my spirit on the inside is, is picked up. I don't find myself living and dwelling in those deep, dark thoughts that everybody has from occasion. And, you know, the only person that can do that is yourself. And, you know, you got to make the decision one day that you're not happy and, you know, find those resentments and work on them. And I did, and it worked out. It's working out for now. That's awesome. Thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you and hear more of your story or just uh, follow your work and your audio recordings? All of my audio books or a whole slew of them are on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. audible.com. You can go to my website at thevoiceofskylarmorgan.com and you can check out my, I have art for sale there. I write a song every day, just creative process. You have to sharpen the knife all the time. It doesn't have to be a long song. It doesn't have to be a hit, (laughs) but you have to practice to get better. That's the one thing I do believe in. And so I got a daily song I put up on there. That's Um, awesome. Uh, all my books are on there. You can listen to the first uh, chapter of Fairy Tale Apocalypse, Shard of the Sun, all these books that I just released if anybody's interested. Uh, and then on Instagram at The Voice of Skylar Morgan. Awesome. Well, we'll be checking you out. Thank you so yeah, much, Skylar. Thanks Morgan. so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. International.